some things you can't put into words just because I've been there for <clears throat> so long and uh, so many great memories, great people, obviously the best fans <clears throat> in the world because they they come with it and tonight they they, they came with it and <clears throat> excuse me the organization Sam Mr. Bennett you know they do an amazing job of just making you feel home and I feel like I was home. Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode than our usual format. Thursday's game against the Rockets was such a special night. We're going to go through a play-by-play of events to help you relive that day. We won't have our normal sections of the main thing, made you look, or bless your timeline, because let's be honest, this day had a little bit of all of that. But don't go anywhere. This is still the Thunder Basketball Universe. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe, and we've got our normal TBU crew. I'm Paris Lawson. We've got Nick still here. How's it going, Nick? It's going great. What a, what an incredible pod that we're going to have today. It's going to be great. It's going to be different, but same crew. Still got Hindi. Yep, what's up? How's it going, Hindi? It's going great. Ready for a great pod? I'm super ready. Let's get into it then. Obviously, the game on Thursday was a, a really special night for Thunder Basketball. The Thunder played the Rockets, which meant the return of Russell Westbrook back into Oklahoma City for the first time since joining the Rockets. And from the very opening of the doors, the mood in Chesapeake Energy Arena was electric. It was a nationally televised game, an amazing opportunity to debut the new City Edition jerseys, uh, honoring the victims from the Oklahoma City bombing 25 years ago, back in 1995. And guys, we saw the jerseys on fans, on the players, Mayor David Holt, who was sitting courtside. It was really, really cool. Definitely a different look for the Thunder on Thursday, wearing charcoal gray jerseys. And you could tell every single detail of that jerseys. The players knew it, the coaches, everybody in the state or the arena knew it. Every detail of that jersey was carefully vetted and thought through to represent the memorial and all of those affected by the bombing. Chris Paul pointed it out post-game that Sam Presti explained the, the survivor tree, the the gates on, on the side of the jersey, and how all of that was implemented into the creation of the jersey. Uh, and we saw kind of throughout the arena different activations and ways to reflect the, that uh, color scheme during the course of the game. Even like the vents on the side of the shorts, like if you lifted up one side, it said 901, and then the other side, 903, representing the two distinct moments of time be- between the bombing, before the bombing, and then right after the bombing happened. You could tell from the way they were talking about it, the guys really like these jerseys and they're excited to wear them again. Yeah, Chris Paul said Steven was asking around after the locker in the locker room after the game, when are we wearing these jerseys again? So it's really nice to see that the players really embraced that and appreciated and understood the weight that the jerseys carried and wearing them leading up to the 25th anniversary of the bombing. So that was kind of the setup as fans were streaming into the doors was, okay, there's a lot going on. Russ is coming back. TNT is here. New jerseys tonight that are so special and unique to this city this organization's connection with the city. And then we start to get into that like final 90 minutes before tip off. All 18,000 people just 
flowing through the door. Like you said, an assortment of jerseys, a lot of rust jerseys from previous years, but still you could just tell the energy was really high, a lot of anticipation, and just feeding off of the various different aspects of emotion of the night. Yeah, maybe we should actually pause and just do a quick, quick recap of like how we got here. So Russell Westbrook got traded to the Houston Rockets after Paul George requested a trade, and the trade happened with the Clippers. And so the details of the trade were Russ for Chris Paul coming from Houston, along with two first-round picks that were um, top four protected in 2024 and 2026, and then pick swaps that were partially protected as well in 2021 and 2025. So uh, that was kind of the breakdown of that trade that happened this past offseason, and now both teams are in playoff position still uh, at this late stage of the season, coming in for a nationally televised game uh, with a lot of stakes. Which set the tone for a really high-energy opening to this game, even from the outstart with warm-ups. Yeah, uh, Russ basically did his normal pregame routine, but just in like mirrored form. So he sprinted into the tunnel to end his pregame warmups. He sang kind of the quintessential pregame song that the Thunder always plays. This city is my city and I'm loving it. I was born and raised here. You know, he sang the whole thing. We caught it on social media. Uh, so definitely check out our at OKC Thunder social feeds from last night. And then, you know, he's bobbing back and forth as he takes in the, the video tribute, which we'll talk about later. Then he ran out to his name being announced in the starting lineups the same way that it always was, dapped up the uh, scorer's table like he used to and pointed his double fingers up at the fan sitting at midcourt like he always did too before sprinting to the corner. So he kind of did his whole his whole thing. Very reminiscent of Russ in previous years, and you could tell the crowd really, really appreciated that. Loved seeing their former point guard back on their home turf. It was the perfect kind of swan song to his career here in Oklahoma City, and the crowd just erupted in deafening applause and approval for their their former former point guard. You were in section. 103. Mm-hmm. What's your perspective from kind of being in amongst the crowd in some way to what that moment's like when the the lights start to dim yep. and the video tribute's about to start playing? The crazy part about it was the video hadn't even started playing yet. The lights just went down in the arena and the crowd just erupts. It wasn't the a picture of Russ hasn't come up on the screen. They haven't said Russ's name yet. It was just, we know that this is the moment where we are going to recognize Russ. And they just erupted. I mean, it literally kind of shook the arena a little bit. It was deafening. And all 18,000 people in the, in the stands were locked in and appreciating what was going on on the screen. A lot of us within the organization had seen the tribute video before, but to hear the first couple notes of the music and see kind of the the yearbook style presentation as it began uh, was really special and unique. And just understanding that, okay, for the next two minutes, we're going to sit here and feel an authentic representation of what the Russell Westbrook OKC experience was like. A lot of kudos to the Thunder Broadcast team for putting this together because it really did paint the picture of the whole Russell Westbrook. The things that really stood out to me were him singing in his car. I mean, that was quintessential Russ. Uh, scoffing at the media that was two my or favorite. three times. Uh, but then 
it transitioned to on-court play mm-hmm. in this very s- special way. And as it turned and Russ is rearing back for that first dunk, the crowd's cheers at that point were the loudest that they were of, uh, at any at any point, I think. It did a good job, I think, of obviously like capturing the well the whole person of Russ, but also his timeline throughout Oklahoma City. He grew up here kind of with the organization, coming in when the organization started and growing into the person and player that he is now. And we saw all of that through that video and the crowd just, like you said, just complete deafening, roaring applause. Yeah, big shout out to Michael Zubak who helped, who, who led the production of that. He did a wonderful job. Lots of revisions, lots of people had hands in it. Um, but he really took that project on, knocked out of the park. And talking to him after it ran, he was down on the court actually shooting Russ, watching the video. So that had to be a cool moment for him. Full circle. His his uh, complaint almost was the crowd was so loud that they <laughs> couldn't hear all of the things in the video. And I think our in arena crew did a great job with the ribbon boards showing some of his quotes on the board. And I think that really, you know, some of those words stood out so strongly. And, you know, I, I watched back through that shot of Russ watching it and seeing him laugh, smile. Maybe it was just the light hitting his eyes, but looking a little misty. Looked was, like he yeah, might. you could tell that there was a, a lot of sentimentality there. Yeah, for sure. A lot of emotion. It was cool. Just, I th- you know, I think it's one of those things where you start laughing a little bit so that you keep yourself from getting a little <laughs> too emotional. To crying. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was super cool to watch him watching it, too. Well, in... You know, in today's day and age of player movement and, you know, kind of just it's a little bit of a a jaded sports culture sometimes that the, you know, everybody's looking for an ulterior motive or something. I mean, this was just a truly, sincerely authentic chance to reunite for both a player and an organization and a fan base. And I think it's something that's going to be really hard to replicate in years and decades to come for any organization or any player. You think about how rare it is for a guy to spend 11 years with a team these days. I mm-hmm. think that's going to be almost the hardest thing is you draft a guy, you get him for that rookie deal, and then maybe you keep him, maybe you don't. But the 11 years of Russ's career here, that's, that doesn't happen very often, and the impact he made is super rare. And I think the fans were really able to appreciate that last night. And not take it for granted. They know that how special what they had was, and, and it, it was a perfect send-off for them, and seeing him back in Oklahoma City and uh, with the video and just the reception that he got was 100% appropriate for what he deserved. The cool thing to me, though, was the crowd completely switched as soon as starting lineups for the Thunder were announced. It was kind of wild. As soon as the lights came up and Russ's name was called for his starting lineup, from there on out, it was nothing. It was just, we're Thunder now. Anybody in a charcoal dra- gray jersey is on our side. Everybody else, no. Yeah, yeah. So the, the cheers for CP3 were huge in starting lineups. And then as soon as the game started, it was like playoff Thunder crowd. Every tipped deflection, every nice defensive rebound, uh, solid extra pass, like all of those things were being cheered. It really helped too that the Thunder got out to a really hot start offensively. The crowd started rolling into it and it just kind of stayed with that high energy from the start, even, you know, from the energy that we saw with how they received Russ. I mean, that was the same kind of deafening applause that we saw whenever, you know, Chris Paul hit a transition three answering one of Russ's three. So it was just really high energy throughout the entire game from the crowd. Yeah. And, you know, the Thunder had these opportunities to 
show that they could hang with the one of the top teams in the West, and they really did that. Obviously, they they won big time by twenty or so, but. You know, there are these moments in the game, especially in the first quarter, where it could have gone either way. And coming out of a timeout, the Thunder got this baseline out of bounds play on a little short corner jump shot from Dennis. Mm -hmm. And it's a play they've run, I got to say, at least 30 times this year. And Dennis nailed it. And it was just like, okay. That's we're, the kind of we're game. making we're making these shots tonight. Yeah. Like we're get it we're executing these plays and we're making these shots. That's the kind of game it's going to be. Every, yeah. We're we're going to fight for what we know we can get, mid-range mm-hmm. jumpers, threes, post-ups on the block, t- taking advantage of mismatches and on the defensive end, the Thunder really Im- just held their own and you could tell the defensive mentality coming into the game was limit James Harden. Definitely. And Terrence Ferguson got off to a little bit of a shaky start, kind of got his arm caught in that classic Harden, you know, mm-hmm. pin the other guy's arm move twice. What did Terrence refer to that as in postgame? Happy hands. Happy hands. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got a little happy hands. The most delightful way to refer to fouling someone. <laughs> like Terrence Ferguson with the happy hands. Yeah. <laughs> but those fouls pretty quickly turned into block shots or just really good contests. Terrence understands after... And honestly, I think he got a lot of this from Andre Robertson that when you contest James, you actually need to contest him on the left side of James's body. So on his shooting side, but be shaded that direction, basically. And if you're if you're trying to contest him from the other side, he will find a way to get a foul called on you. So um, it's kind of counterintuitive because you want to put your hand right in his face, but if you do that, you're done for, and you're going to get a foul called on a three-pointer. And so Terrence really did a nice job of being in the correct position there, preventing those dribble drives and getting a hand up. And as a result, held the highest-scoring player in the league to a mere 17 points. For reference, he averages 38 a game. On what shooting? On 5 of 17 from the field and 2 of 9 from 3. I mean, this is a guy who the other night – made nine field goals and scored 41 points in Atlanta. So to hold him to 17 on 17 shot attempts is incredible also. And keeping him off the foul line. The last time the Thunder played him, they put him to the line for the most amount of times that they have allowed a player to get to the line this season. He shot 22 free throws. And last night, he only shot five. That's been a hallmark of the Thunder all season long, particularly the last month and a half, is they've won the free throw battle every night. Getting to the line, it was Danilo Gallinari who got to the line six times, knocked down all six of them. He, he really kind of set the tone for how the Thunder was going to play. He knocked down two threes early and then exploited mismatches throughout the game. And then we saw him score at all three levels, posted up on the block, scoring in the mid-range, and then from behind the arc. I loved the way that the Thunder used him in like deep catches on the block, mid-post seals. Basically, if Houston was going to switch one through five, the normal thing that you might do is try to feed Steven Adams against a a guard. But Danilo is actually the perfect guy to go post up with because he's so skilled. He can do a lot of different things from the post. Not that Adams is a bad choice, Mm -hmm. but Danilo is just the guy that he can do everything from that spot on the floor and has such great touch that if he's going to get somebody that's four inches or five inches shorter than him guarding him, it's a bucket. He just always presents a mismatch, kind of no matter what situation he's 
up against, it's a it's kind of a mismatch for Danilo. He he can post up our smaller players, and then he can take advantage of having a bigger post player on him by pulling him out behind the perimeter, or you know trying to get past him with blow past him and get to the rim. It it's one of those situations where the post game players were talking about how we got to find Danilo, and if he gets going, that it's really tough to stop everybody else from scoring on the team. It reminds me of what we talked about last pod where the Thunder just reads the defense and does what it's going to do based on that. My, my favorite example of this was in the fourth quarter when the Thunder had a commanding lead at this point, but they were kind of looking for an opportunity to put a capper on the game. Like this, it, it's basically over. And Chris Paul brings the ball down the floor in transition got a ball screen and had Isaiah Hartenstein, Hartenstein mm-hmm. on him and utilized that mismatch, tossed the ball between his legs, pure nutmeg, and floats it up and in, and the crowd just goes bananas. Yeah, splitting that screen by throwing it between Hartenstein's <laughs> leg is just a legend move. Point God status, of course. Mm-hmm. And But I, I think that's that's the point is like, Chris saw, okay, all of a sudden they're going to use this guy that had barely played to come rush up mm-hmm. in, and try to trap me in pick and roll. I'm just going to split that trap. Whereas earlier in the game, they were switching one through five. Right. So if they're going to switch one through five, we're going to go exploit whatever mismatch it is. If, like in the Brooklyn game, if they're going to sit back in that drop coverage, like Houston did for a few possessions in the fourth quarter, oh, I'm going to go and just hit that mid-range jumper. And Chris hit a couple mid-range jumpers to really kind of seal the game against Houston too when they try to throw in a different wrinkle, a different defense. So they just seem to be able to recognize instantly and have an answer to all these things. The Thunder has so many threats on the floor at any given point that it's really hard to stop if they play with the pace and tempo that they know that they can play at and that they move the ball consistently. That's one of the things that's been so effective for them is they play with pace, they move the ball, and then suddenly they have the option to utilize any of the five threats that they have on the floor. And then it just comes down to whether they're hitting shots or not because they're playing the right way. And a lot of times what we're seeing in the difference between what we saw in the beginning of the season when I think they started one for seven in those crunch time games and then went and won 10 out of their last 12 or something like that or 13 is whether shots are falling and whether they can get stops and frankly we've just seen them knock down these shots over the last couple months and this was a perfect example walking away with a 21 point win over the Rockets at home first home game of the new year and now they have a 16 and 5 record since Thanksgiving the best in the west they're playing really really high quality basketball right now and it's also because they're shutting down runs so like the only times that Houston got any momentum was a 6-0 run to end the first quarter mm-hmm. a 6-0 run that turned into an 8-0 run kind of spanning halftime but the thunder had an answer for them like right away and cut off any momentum right at the knees. And a lot of the time, it wasn't just one player who was answering those runs. It wasn't like, which has happened in the past, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just goes to show, like we were talking about, the amount of threats that are on the floor. Anybody can go get a bucket. 
when the team needs it. So if the Rockets go down and score, Russ does a, a really you know high-energy layup to the rim, suddenly the Rockets have a little bit of momentum, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander suddenly does his patented scoop to the rim on the other end, and now we're back on the e- evil, even playing ground. So it, it's just – and. It's Shea one possession, then Chris another possession, Danilo getting to the line the next. It's every player contributing in their own way. Chris had a moment like that in the first quarter that was exactly what you're describing. Russ came down and hit a a three-pointer, and Chris just instinctually ran up the back of Houston's defense as they were retreating in transition, and he recognizes when teams aren't really paying attention Mm -hmm. to that kind of secondary break, and he just pulls right up from three as Houston's defense is still kind of getting itself set, and he buries a response three right away. And that, again, cut Houston's momentum like a cord. And this is what is encouraging about the Thunder right now is that that is a very sustainable style of basketball getting everybody involved moving the ball playing with pace tempo ball movement and getting stops on defense just putting your identity in things that you can control and then allowing yourself to flourish in ways that you can be productive on offense just putting yourself in a position to do what you know you can do that really was something they were able to ride out for another win this team is now 22 and 16 and the emotions were high after the game. Obviously, pregame was really sentimental, and the crowd was electric. But postgame, it was it was all love. Huge hug for <laughs> Mr. Bennett, and that was that was obviously a really special moment. You know, Russ after the game, he's wearing his uh, zero regrets T-shirt mm-hmm. with all of his kind of accomplishments from his OKC days. And then Paris, you and I are in the locker room, yeah, and <laughs> we just hear this voice booming from somewhere back in the back. To be honest, I had no idea that it was Russ when it happened. I had no clue and until you told me. You're like, yeah, that's Russ. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so distinct. I mean, being in that locker room for nine years now, <laughs> you just know <laughs> that, uh, that that whose voice is whose. What stood out to me was all I heard was, Frankie! And uh, Russ is screaming out the name of uh, a employee who works for the Thunder and helps out just with all sorts of little things on game nights, uh, making sure the players have every single thing that they need. And Russ made a point in this post-game press conference, too, to talk about the ushers and the staffers and the security people and just all the all the human beings inside Chesapeake Energy Arena that make that place run every single night and how special it was to see all of them and to make sure that they felt appreciated and recognized the same way that Russell felt appreciated and recognized on the court. You're at a place for 11 years. I mean, you play 11 seasons in one building. Those are the types of relationships that you built. And just being removed for, what, six months, not seven, maybe eight months, that it's the relationships are still there. And those people are family to Russ. He said, I felt home. And I think Thunder fans, the Thunder organization should feel really proud that they were able to create that type of situation, that type of moment for a former player in such a public, visible way. Needless to say, Thursday was quite the night for Thunder basketball, and this is how it goes in an 82-game season. It's a quick turnaround for the Thunder. Now they set their sights on the Lakers on Saturday in Chesapeake Energy Arena. It'll be another really high-intensity, high-energy game, and If you missed anything that happened, we talked about a lot of things in today's podcast. 
You can find it on any of the Thunder social channels, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Just go look at it. We'll have a list of things in the show notes for you to look at. We want to thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank our producers. And until next time, Thunder up and catch you later.